Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. In some ways, um, I, I was thinking this week just about the, the ways that social media has changed the way we do life. And in some ways, we, we have to be thankful for what social media has given us. It's given us um, immediate access to very important news and information. It's enabled us in some way to connect even better than we have in the past, although some can question the, the, the depth of that connection. It's given us access to global information on important issues. Um, with that, it's also given us hashtags, it's given us uh, selfies, it's given us memes, and it's given us this one phenomena that I didn't even know existed until recently, and that is the baby gender reveal. Uh, my girls... Uh, <laughs> I have, I have a 19-year-old daughter and a 20-year-old daughter, and they are the ones that help keep me current. And recently, they introduced me to what apparently is a social media phenomena, which is a baby gender reveal. Didn't even know that existed. So for those who, like me, were a little uninformed, what a baby gender reveal is, somehow the gender of the baby to be born is concealed from the father or mother or sometimes both. And can I just say, I have no idea how that is even possible. Um, but somehow they do, they, they conceal the gender of the baby in anticipation of this very elaborate reveal to the parents and to friends and family. So, for example, you can go online and you, you can, don't do it now, but after the sermon, you can go online and you can find parents cutting into a frosted cake and the sponge has been colored blue or pink. Uh, you see parents opening up uh, normal brown boxes to reveal masses of pink or blue helium balloons. Uh, you see friends gathered together, and at the same moment, these friends and family are letting off appropriately colored party poppers. You know, the stream is going, and, and every single gender reveal that I've seen online always ends with mass hysteria and huge excitement, and then eventually, a few seconds later, the ugly tears begin to, begin to come. Uh, I say all that to say that, in a sense, I feel like our current series is a reveal of sorts. As we are kind of working through these next 10 weeks, we've already kind of, this is th- uh, third week in, over this 10-week series, as we are revealing, as we are kind of unpacking um, what we have termed Church in the City's vision framework, this, this sense of what God is, is, is doing with us. I, I, when I introduced the series two weeks ago, I think we all agreed that there is, a, there is an awareness of the life of God in the church at the moment, this, this life of God that is, that is among us, uh, the life of God that is with us, the life of God that is in us as a church family. And, and I think until we started to give thought to the series, and, and uh, I don't know we, if we necessarily had the language to, to really understand what this life of God is, what this life of God that is with us and in us and among us looks like, what, what God is doing with us. And our intention is to do exactly that, to, to help us to, to learn who we are how we see the world and the world that we long to see. And also, as kind of our hope along the way, to kind of figure out what is our role in shaping this particular world? What is our response to all of this? We've introduced you, and I'm going to take just five minutes to kind of give you the framework of, of where we're going to be going over these, new, over these next few weeks. This vision, vision framework starts with our belief. It's, our, it's the core conviction that is that is and will always be true of church in the city. It's the, it's the foundation that God has been painstakingly, patiently been, been laying into the very fabric of this particular church. At times, 
I've wished God would have hurried up. And this is honestly one prayer that I can say I'm thankful God hasn't answered in the way that I, had, I hoped he would. Our foundation, our belief is true of us, irrespective of where we, where we meet. It's irrespective of how many people call church in the city home. It's irrespective of what we may change our name to be. It's irrespective of how we define our vision and values. We've defined our foundation or our belief as this. It's the power and presence of Jesus deeply transforms lives by gifting us with intimacy with the Father and freeing us from everything that holds us down and holds us back. I don't know about you guys, but that statement honestly enlarges me. When I, when I meditate on and think about, and I've been doing that, we've obviously known something of this statement for a while before we unpacked it two weeks ago, but, but I've been choosing to, to meditate on the truth of that statement and all the associated truths. I've been doing my utmost to live in its transformative power, and, and that statement gets me up in the morning. That statement encourages me to be all that I know God has called me to be as we Beautifully saying, I am a child of God whom the Son sets free. That statement frees me to be all that Jesus wants me to be. On top of this foundation, on top of this belief, we need to respond. We need to, we need to uh, respond to this rallying cry that, that God is speaking over church in the city. This, this rallying cry that is birthed in God and it is given to us. And in turn, it motivates us to do something for others. Some might phrase this as a, as a vision, but I, I, I think that word is, is too corporate. It's, it's, it's too limiting. A vision speaks a little bit of, of what we hope to do for God. We've chosen to use the word banner. The reason why we've chosen to use the word banner is twofold. Number one, it speaks to the, the kind of together uh, uh, response, the, the collective response that we all have to, to pick up the thing that God is calling us to do. But secondly, the word banner for me speaks of, of the enormity and the expanse of what God is calling us to do. Our banner statement, on the one hand, is uniquely ours. It's uniquely what God is calling church in the city to. But at the same time, it fits into all of what God is doing through every nation, through all generations, and therefore into all churches. The best way I can try and illustrate that is I'm called uniquely and specifically to husband my wife, Debs. There's a unique and specific call that God has given me to husband her. Hansel, on the other hand, we just heard today, is soon to marry his bride-to-be Mel. And there's going to be a unique and specific responsibility and call and purpose on his life to husband his bride-to-be. Each of us have a unique call, but it's within the context of God's will and God's way for marriage in general. And that's how we need to understand this banner statement. It's, not, it's, it's unique to church in the city, while at the same time being part of what God is doing into the nations. Part of God's prophetic future. Essentially see it this way. It's us fitting in with God's plan, not us asking God to fit in with our plan. And James introduced this, a couple, uh, he introduced this banner statement last week. It's all of Jesus for everyone. All of Jesus for everyone. And in, in response to this banner statement, there are going to be some values, some covenants, some, you know, the, there are going to be commitments that we are going to make 
with one another, opportunities for us to look each other in the eye and say, we need to hold each other account in order to see this coming to pass. There are five values which we're going to unpack in weeks to come. That's, that all sounds wonderful. A beautiful belief statement, a foundation on which we build our banner, all of Jesus for everyone. And then we unpack five very clear, very distinct values that are going to motivate our response to all of this. But let me tell you, friends, that is as wonderful as that is. If we don't find a way to, to take that to the world, it can become very incestuous. And become very inward looking. And all we end up doing is gazing at each other's navels and changing no one's life. And I have no desire to spend the next X number of years leading this church doing navel gazing with each of you. God has so much more for, for each of us. And that's where this fourth component is so vitally important. It's called the ethic. It's the way we take all of this and bring it to the world. The world don't give a hoot what our belief what our banner, or what our values are. They want to know what does it taste like? What does it feel like to experience and encounter Jesus and his kingdom? We have an opportunity to be a clanging gong or a beautiful symphony to the world. And that's where the ethic comes in. It's the flavor with which we take all of this and submit it and present it and bring it to the world around us. James made this profound statement, which I want to just take a few moments to, to spend some time on. After last week, he shared those four components that make up the vision framework. And he said this, this is the framework, not the hard work. This is the framework, not the hard work. In other words, while this vision framework calls for, an, calls for ownership and it calls for response, it doesn't call for kind of self-effort and I need to make this happen and it's not calling for busyness. This framework needs to, I trust, put us in a, in a way where we are positioning ourselves well, where we are getting ourselves ready for a move of God. And then it's a partnering, it's a, it's a surrender in order to move with God as He begins to move. I think if you were here last Sunday... God was declaring that so clearly through our prophetic contributions that came during worship. But I think the, the statement that summarizes it best is something that Leanne prayed a few weeks ago at our prayer meeting. And she said this, we need to let the promise of God do the heavy lifting. We need to let the promise of God do the heavy lifting. And there are, there are going to be three things I'm going to emphasize this morning. I'm just actually going to be a lot, but there are three things that I want you to take home this morning. And number one is this, let the promise of God do the heavy lifting. There's a parable in Mark, uh, Mark chapter four, and the words will come on the screen behind, behind me, that I think speaks so powerfully to this. So let me read it. It says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So in the context of our vision framework, let's for a moment assume that the seed that, 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 that this parable is, is speaking of is the promise of God. It's the all of Jesus for everyone that God has spoken over us. 
And that seed is going to take root. That seed is, is going to germinate. It's going to produce fruit in the right conditions, in the right soil. That soil is the position of our collective heart as a church. A position of faith and patience. A position of faith and patience. And as we position ourselves, as we allow God to grow the seed... As it germinates and produces fruit, he's then going to call us to partner with him to bring in the harvest. And don't just see this as a linear purpose of God planting seed and then faith and patience equals equals fruitfulness and harvest. There's going to be a, a constant back and forth, God laying seed, a response of faith. Before we harvest, God laying more seed. We harvest this bit. It's a constant back and forth under the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what God is, is calling us to. Can I just say one last thing? Is, is The goal of all of this is not church growth. We are not trying to grow church in the city. We are responding to God's call to advance his kingdom. We are responding to God's call to wanting to mature this church. And I'm convinced that a church that is focused on kingdom advancement and maturity within we'll begin to see people being added and the church growing. But church growth is not our ultimate goal in all of this. There's a video that I'm going to ask Philip to play in a few moments, which communicates this importance of us positioning ourselves well. So Philip, if you wouldn't mind playing the video. that commercial. I love it. I, absolutely, I think that child is an incredible actor. He communicates so much. But the point I want to illustrate through it all is constantly throughout that commercial, that kid was out of position with his father. And he tried all he could to, to make things happen and nothing happened. But even when he eventually, quote unquote, did something, did that kid really start the car? No. He was perfectly positioned with his father behind him doing all of the work. He was just in position, and, and the father was able to use that. And that's the illustration, that, that's the application of the, of the account in, in, in the book of Exodus when Moses is leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea, the Egyptians are coming down upon them. Moses is stuck in front of him with, with the nation of Israel there, and God says, Raise your staff. And, God, and, and, and Moses raises his staff in the Red Sea parts. I used to teach that Moses did his 1% and God did 99%. Because that's logical thinking. 1 plus 99 equals 100%. But did Moses raising his staff really part the sea? No. 
Moses did his 1% and God did 100% of parting the Red Sea. Moses was just well positioned for his father to use him. Moses knew his father. Moses loved his father. Moses trusted God. Moses surrendered to God. And therefore, Moses was willing to obey God when God asked him to do something. And friends, that's what I want to emphasize. Let the promises of God do the heavy lifting. Before we get off this point, I want to bring a practical application to that challenge. And the practical application to letting the promises of God do the heavy lifting is simply this. It's prayer. Now, I'm not just talking about And this is important about each of us growing our prayer muscle individually. I am talking about if we as a church are wanting to press into all that God has called us to, we need to gather together to pray. And so the challenge I am putting out to each of you in response to let the promise of God do the heavy lifting is this. Would you be willing to join every one of you who call this church home? Would you be willing to join us for one hour every month? First Wednesday. One hour from 6.30 to 7.30 so that we as a church can own this together through prayer. Let the promise of God do the heavy lifting. James did a phenomenal job last week of unpacking the first half of our banner statement, all of Jesus. And, And last week I was sitting on the front row celebrating everything he was saying and under my breath dreading this week and thinking, how on earth do I follow that amazing sermon that he speak last week? But, but essentially, this is what James said. He said this, the all, uh, the all is the portion of himself that God has given us. All of God is, is present in his image, it's present in his plan, and it's present in his son. And, and, and God wants, uh, the all of Jesus, the, the all of God requires a yes from us, a yes to Jesus as Lord and a yes to Jesus as Savior a surrender, and a following. He made this statement too. Unfortunately, all is everything we want, but it tends to be nothing of what we are prepared to give. His sermon ended last week with this question. What does all of Jesus mean? What does all of Jesus mean? And it means that we don't get to pick the Jesus we are most comfortable with. Do you have a version of Jesus that you are most comfortable with that is preventing you from experiencing all of him? Do you have a version or do you have a part of Jesus that you are best or most suited to or most comfortable with that is preventing you from experiencing all of him? But the focus today for the rest of the sermon is going to be this, is is who is all of this for? Who is the the all of Jesus for? And obviously, it says in our mission statement, all of Jesus for everyone. So it it is for everyone. But, But if we're not careful, that statement of all of Jesus for everyone, as impressive as that sounds, as grandiose as it seems, if we don't understand the implications, it can be impersonal. It can be overwhelming. Dare I say, it might even come across as impossible. So where does all of Jesus for everyone start? It starts right here with each of us. And that's the second point that I want to emphasize this this morning. The first point was this. Let the promise of God do the heavy lifting. The second point that I want to drive home is this. All of Jesus for everyone starts here with every one of us. I became a huge fan of uh, the period of kind of the end of summer last year into the early part of this year, a huge fan of an author called Brene Brown. 
for those who don't know who Brene Brown is, she's a, she's a social worker, she's an academic, an author, and a, a TED Talk speaker. Um, outstanding, outstanding books that she's written. I read about three or four of them, and they, they profoundly changed my life. They profoundly impacted me. Uh, um, can I just say, I'm not into recommending books because books have a particular, there's a particular season that we're in and that depends how we receive the book. So please don't go and, you know, Steve said I need to read this book and then it's a bit of a flop. I'm just saying for me, her books were profoundly impactful. Daring Greatly is one phenomenal book. And then there's a subsequent book she wrote on parenting, The Gift of Imperfect Parenting, which I will say I highly, highly recommend. Um, <laughs> I say all that to say there were, there were two nuggets, there were two truths that she spoke in the context of parenting that I think speak to the journey we're on towards the all of Jesus. So let me share those two truths with you. Firstly, she says this, in the context of parenting, but then I'll bring the application to the all of Jesus. Who we are is a much more accurate predictor of how our kids will do than what we understand about the science of parenting. Who we are is a much more accurate predictor of how our kids will do than what we understand about the science of parenting. So simply what she's saying is, is who we are, our life, must match what we say, must match our message if we want to change the world around us. If I, if I say to you, I have mumps, but I actually have measles, what will you catch? You'll catch measles. You'll catch what I have, not what I say I have. And so applied to this journey of all of, towards all of Jesus, all of Jesus won't be a reality to others until it becomes a reality for each of us. The second thing she mentions about parenting is this. Parenting is making the journey with our children towards wholeheartedness. Parenting is making the journey with our children towards wholeheartedness. It's about learning and growing alongside them. What she's speaking to is the power of vulnerability, the power of humility, the, the power of acknowledging that we need one another. Friends, can I say, if we ever hope to, to reach any portion of all of Jesus for everyone, there's going to be no place for pride, no place for an attitude of, well, I've got it all together I've actually reached there. You can just look to me as the example. No place for pride and no place for independence where we say, I don't need anyone to get there. Applied to our all of Jesus journey, I say this, discipleship, the journey towards all of Jesus, is something that we do together no matter where we are along the road. And that's essentially what Paul says in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. The verse will come up behind me. He says this, he says, we preach Christ. We preach all of Jesus, admonishing and exhorting and teaching who? Teaching everyone. We preach all of Jesus in order to teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now you read that verse, and I know that probably most of you are sitting there thinking, that's a leadership-specific verse only. And I want to challenge us and say, no, that's not the case. There are very few verses in the Bible that are very leadership specific. But because we live in a culture which is so leadership centric, we start to view a lot of what God is calling every one of us to, to only that which God is calling some people to. And I want to say, friends, the responsibility 
for all of us in here to reach maturity does not rest on my shoulders along with the eldership team. The responsibility that we have to see all of us coming into maturity in Jesus rests on every single one of our shoulders. We are in this together. C.S. Lewis does a phenomenal job of explaining this. He, 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 he argues for the fact that it is impossible to know an individual in an exclusive one-to-one relationship. He argues for the fact that people are, are too diverse. Your interaction with each other helps me learn more about you. And he makes this point as he reflects on the death of his friend, Charles Williams. He says this, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I actually have less of Ronald. And his point is simple. is It takes a diverse community to know one another. I know Gary more by watching how each of you interact with him. I learn more about his character. If that is true with my friendship with Gary, how much more is it, a, is it true for our ability to know, Jesus, to know Jesus, to know all of Jesus? I, I learn more about Jesus by watching how Brittany and Mel and Roberta and Sarah and Griffin, how they interact with him and how they know him. That teaches me more about Jesus. But the implications are profound. What does it require? It requires a vulnerability of heart. It requires a willingness to learn and a willingness to help others learn from you. Again, C.S. Lewis speaks about the importance of vulnerability. You've probably heard this quote. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all the entanglements. entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark, motionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. My first point was let the promises of God do, he- do the heavy lifting. And the application there was prayer. My second point is all of Jesus for everyone starts here with every one of us. And so my practical application is the very thing that James challenged us with it before I started. We will not know vulnerability, true vulnerability. We, we, we will never be able to fully let people in if we just gather here on a Sunday, say a hi across the crowded room, and leave before we can develop relationships. Connect groups, friends, are a perfect way for us to grow in those vulnerable relationships. So if you want to join a connect group, go online. If you want to lead a connect group, come and see me so that I can begin to help train you so that we can have multiple connect groups across our city. All of Jesus for everyone surely cannot just be limited to the 200 or so people that are here in this particular church. If that was the extent of the everyone, then, then that's, not giving, that's not laying down our lives for, worth laying, laying down our lives for. 
In order for everyone to be, to be met with the understanding of Scripture, we have to understand it falls in line with, with what God is doing with every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people from every walk of life and from every generation. It's the, it's the, the everyone is the, is the purpose, it's the goal of where all creation is headed. 4,000 years ago, God called a man called Abram, a pagan worshiper who at the time was living in uh, southeast Iraq. And he said to him, he said, Abram, would you trust me? Would you trust me to the extent of following me and leave the country where you now live? And would you go to a land I will show you? And Abram said, yes. And so he journeyed from southeast Iraq all the way to southern Turkey and then eventually down to what we now know to be Israel and Palestine. And along the way, God spoke to this man, Abram, and he said, Abram, through you and through all of your descendants, all nations on earth will be blessed. And Abram believed God. And he told his wife, Sarah, and eventually, after their names were changed to Abraham and Sarah, they, they, uh, Sarai to Sarah, they had this son, Isaac. And they told him that God was going to fulfill his promise that through them, all nations will be blessed. Unfortunately, the generations that followed, the the people that began to be called the nation of Israel forgot the promise of God. And they thought that the blessing that they had received was for themselves and not for the ends of the earth. And so God had to send people called prophets to remind them of what he had called them to. He sent the prophet Isaiah and he said, he spoke this over them. He said, I will make you a light for the nations that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. 56 generations after God spoke that promise over Abram, Jesus, the Son of God, was born into this world. He was born to a virgin, teenage girl called Mary, and her husband-to-be, who was a descendant of Abraham, Joseph. This poor couple, on the eighth day after Jesus was born, took Jesus to the temple, as was custom, in order to have him dedicated. And there they encountered a man called Simeon, who had been given the promise from God that he would see the fulfillment of Abraham's promise. And as soon as Simeon laid eyes on Jesus, he declares these words. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, O God, a light to all the nations. For 33 years, Jesus began to usher in the kingdom of God. He ushered in the kingdom of God by miraculous healing, by setting people free from oppression of the devil, and by declaring and teaching the will of his Father. Most specifically in John chapter 6, where Jesus taught, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus died a horrific death on the cross, was raised victorious three days later to have victory over sin and sickness and death. Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church and commissioned us as the church to continue the work of ministry that he had called the church to, that of advancing the kingdom of God to all nations. He says to his church in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in in all of Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth. And those statements fulfill the very thing that Jesus had prophesied earlier. He said this, he said, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. He was pointing to a prophetic future. And then the end will come. 
I love the description of that prophetic future to which all of mankind is heading. It's described in Revelation chapter 7. John says, this is the picture that he had. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they crowed in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I say all of that to say this. All of of Jesus for everyone is us. It's what God has called us to, but it's so much bigger than us. It's what God is doing in the world today. It's, it's essentially God's call on all churches as we head towards this incredible end of, of the world. This, this picture of a, of a massive multi-ethnic multitude worshiping before the throne. There are significant challenges to living in Chicago, friends. We all know that. This is not an easy city to live in. No city is an easy city to live in. But can I suggest the single greatest benefit of living in this city is that we have people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue and from every walk of life and from every generation living on our doorstep. We are are soon to move out of this building. Many of you know, most of you know, we are trusting for God to lead us to a place that we can call our own. And no matter where we move in this city, if we suddenly focus the extent of church in the city's ministry on one location and impact three neighborhoods, suddenly all of Jesus for everyone becomes all of Jesus for some. And that is not God's heart for this church. You and I, I look across this room, the the incredible diversity in this room, and you and I, we live in different neighborhoods. We work in different neighborhoods. We play and have fun in different neighborhoods. And it is God's specific intent that we don't focus on one single location, but as we go to our places of work and go to the people in which we interact with, suddenly everyone becomes a possibility. But it has to start with someone. We will never reach everyone until we take the opportunity to reach someone. And that's my third point. First point, let the promises of God do the heavy lifting. Second point, all of Jesus for everyone starts in here with every one of us. And But I'm going to end off with this last point, and I'm nearly finished, is this. It's impossible to reach everyone with all of Jesus without starting with someone. The story in Acts chapter 10, we don't have time to turn there, is a profound story of when Peter was called to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And to Peter, who was a devout Jew, that someone was Cornelius, a Gentile, a Gentile soldier, who according to Peter's mindset and framework was unclean and and out of reach. Three times, God goes to Peter and says, Peter, I need you to preach the gospel to Cornelius. And three times, Cornelius says, not a chance, Lord. It's not going to happen. Has God placed someone in front of you that you would consider unclean and therefore off limits? Has God placed someone in front of you of a certain ethnicity or a certain social status 
religious group, sexual orientation, that you've said, Lord, not a chance. It's not going to happen. You see, until we say, until we allow the, 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 the person of Jesus to grab hold of our hearts, they will always be unclean and in our minds off limits. God is as concerned about adding them into the kingdom as he is about transforming your heart. God wants that person to be added into the everyone. But through it, God wants you and I to experience the all of Jesus. And when we say yes to those people that God has put in front, in front of, of, of us, those people, the someone is added into the everyone and we experience more of Jesus in the process. So number one, let the promises of God do the heavy lifting. Number two, all of Jesus for everyone starts here with every one of us. And number three, it's impossible to reach everyone with all of Jesus without starting with someone. And can I say a practical application for that? We have Easter Sunday coming up on April 1st. We have a chosen woman's, com- chosen woman's conference at the end of April. Use those opportunities to invite the someone that's in front of you to one of those events. And let them hear the gospel of Jesus. How do we pick up this banner? I'm going to land this in the next couple minutes. How do we pick up this banner? It's going to require personal ownership. It's going to require us owning values that we're going to speak about in the weeks to come. It's going to require us looking at each other in the eyes and holding each other to account so that we can see all of this achieved. Before we get there, before we go anywhere near those values, I'm going to end by just reading you five questions. And I'm going to ask James to email these questions tomorrow. Five questions, or Tuesday. Five questions. (laughs) Tuesday. (laughs) James can email them on Tuesday. But five questions that I want you, I'm asking you guys to consider this week. I'm asking you. If if church in the city is is your home, as best as I am able, I am asking you to consider these five questions because they're going to begin to point in the weeks to come, the values that we are going to outwork in order to see all of Jesus for everyone become a reality. I'll read these questions to you. You'll get them in your email tomorrow or Tuesday. Number one, how am I actively seeking the presence of God and obeying his voice? How am I actively seeking the presence of God and obeying his voice? How am I engaging with the faithful God to see him do the impossible? How am I engaging with the faithful God to see him do the, do the impossible? How am I guarding unity within this local church? How am I guarding unity within this local church? How does my relationship with, with Jesus overflow in introducing him to others? How does my relationship with Jesus overflow in introducing him to others? And the question that is probably the most important question. It's the question above all questions because it points to the value that is above all other values. It's this question. How am I holding back from loving Jesus with all that I am and all that I have? And friends, that question points to a value of total surrender. Do you remember the Darth Vader illustration? It points to partnership, and positioning. It points to owning this, but letting the promises of God do the heavy lifting. It points to wholehearted trust. All of Jesus for everyone 
will become a reality when all of us are willing to surrender all. All of Jesus for everyone becomes a reality when all of God's, when all of God's people own all of the vision and we surrender all of our hearts using all of our gifts and resources, living in all of the values in order to fulfill all of God's purpose in order to disciple all of the nations. All of Jesus for everyone becomes possible through this first value that we're going to speak about next week. All of us for Jesus. All of Jesus for everyone. The response that is above all other responses is all of us for Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for what you are doing in our church at the moment. I thank you, Father, for the life and the liberty and the freedom and the joy that you are releasing over us. I thank you, Lord God, for, 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 for this vision framework that you've dropped into our hearts. And, and Father, I, I pray, I, I pray that as I trust as, as clearly as has been preached over the last few weeks, Lord, I pray that, that we would not leave this place thinking about fun illustrations or, or cute slogans. Father, we don't want a, a wise and persuasive words to be the thing that impress us throughout the series. Lord, we are desperate for the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. And so to that end, Holy Spirit, we ask you to change us, to impact us, to transform us. Holy Spirit, we ask for your power, for your anointing for a tangible sense of your grace to be upon us in Jesus' name. We want to see everyone transformed by the all of Jesus, but Lord, would you start with us? Would you start with us? I'm gonna ask if you just take a moment, just with your eyes closed. I feel like there are some things that God wants us just to respond to where we are seated. This is, This is a moment, an opportunity to respond in the moment, but at the same time, an opportunity to journey with God in the process. But I don't want us to miss out on the moment that is here right now. Let the promise of God do the heavy lifting. How does that apply to you? What are the promises of God that are before you? What are the things that you are holding on for? Have you been trying to do heavy lifting in your own strength? This is an opportunity for us to surrender. Surrender individually, surrender collectively as a body. Who are those people that God has promised that he will, through you, come bring into relationship with him? Are you allowing that promise to do the heavy lifting or are you trying to make it happen in your own strength as good as your enthusiasm is? It's a chance for us to surrender. In this moment, it's the next 30 seconds before we move on. Can you do that right now? Just surrender. Jesus, I surrender. I trust you. I open my hands to these promises. You want these fulfilled far more than I do. You want my friend saved far more than I do. You, I surrender and trust in you. All of Jesus for everyone requires vulnerability. 
The reality is many of us carry scars from church relationships. Many of us carry hurts from church relationships. People who have taken advantage of us. God is calling us to vulnerability. But for that to be possible, God wants to heal our hearts. Is that you today? Is this an opportunity for you to say, Lord, I surrender. I want to be vulnerable. I want to trust. I want to grow deeper in relationship. But I'm hurt. I'm hurt. Father, would you touch those hearts this morning? Would you bring healing and wholeness to those hearts this morning in Jesus' name? I've put the challenge before us all that God wants all of Jesus for everyone to start with someone. And that requires courage. And if I can be honest, that's the thing I need more than anything. And if that's you, if you're saying, I, I, Lord, I need courage. I need courage to tell people about Jesus. That's the prayer I'm praying for myself. And so, Lord, I pray for every one of us here who are saying, Lord, would you, would you give us courage, boldness to step out, boldness to share your love, boldness to pray for the sick, boldness to share a word of encouragement or a scripture with someone who doesn't know you, the boldness to invite someone to one of our church meetings for them to come to know you. We surrender, we ask for healing, we pray for courage, Lord. And we do this knowing that your promise, that Lord, that those who trust in the Lord, your word says, will never be put to shame. Thank you for that, Lord. We will never be put to shame. We trust you, we surrender our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us.